everyone, and welcome to episode 188 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we got the full crew this week, starting with Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. What's up, Richard? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Oh man, I'm hyped today. It is the official start of Guilds of Ravnica spoiler season, so, oh man, I'm just so excited. We also have, of course, Chris Van Meter. How's it going today, Chris? I'm doing pretty good. Much like yourself, I am hyped for Guilds of Ravnica cards. Oh yeah, the set is looking super sweet so far. So the plan for today is pretty much all Guilds of Ravnica related. We're going to talk about spoiler cards, the cards that came out mostly today. We also have a couple of like supplemental product stuff we wanted to mention quickly, some guild kit news involving basic lands, some mythic edition stuff, uh, the foiling and whatnot. So we'll get to that, but first we're going to start with spoilers. However, before we jump into it, a super quick shout out to the sponsor of today's podcast, which is bikesacademy.com, the world's first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy. They got online courses by some really great players like Hall of Famer Paula Vitor Rosa. so you can check them out at spikesacademy.com and even get 10% off if you use the discount cold goldfish. So also if you want more information, spikes underscore academy on Twitter, check them out. So thank you to them so much for their support. And with that out of the way... Let's talk Guilds of Ravnica. So today was the official start of spoiler season. We got a handful of cards. Some of them are pretty absurd, though. So any broad thoughts about Guilds of Ravnica before we kick it to Richard to go through the specific spoilers? It feels very (laughs) Ravnica-ish. It's just we have so many gold cards, and they really represent... um, you know, their their respective guilds. So we do not have a battle for Zendikar situation where you're like, is this really a Zendikar set? Uh, Every card we've seen so far feels really on theme and everyone's kind of aligning with their guilds and drawing up their factions. So, you know, so far, so good. It feels very Ravnica. Yeah, it it certainly feels very Ravnica. Um, The guilds are going to kind of be exemplified by these cards, which I think is really cool. Ravnica always tends to just be like and out of the park, like hit it out of the park, like great, great sets. One thing that's really interesting for me as a whole from these two Ravnica sets though is uh, I saw a little snip from something posted by Wizards that like in the creative design for the whole set, five guilds overall are going to be influenced by Bolas um, and five guilds won't. So that kind of like sets the stage for where the, the struggle is going to be. But it'll be really curious to see which guilds are being influenced by Bolas, those are the guilds that will have the five planeswalkers amongst the two sets, and uh, I'm just curious to see how they kind of feel uh, like make that known in the card mechanics and how the cards actually work. Yeah, that's definitely going to be interesting. I'm also very curious. I mean, this is way in the future, but I'm going to be curious to see what they do with the third set of the of the block, which uh, we have all the guilds in the first two sets. We've had some bad experiences uh, experiences in the past with jamming all the guilds into one set. That kind of led to Dragon's Maze, which is kind of known as one of the worst sets we've had of the modern era of Magic. So I'm going to be curious to see if this Bolas twist is going to make for a really interesting final set of the block but that's way in the future that's this spring we have some sweet new cards that are coming out in under a month now that were just spoiled today so richard why don't you guide us through some of these sweet new guilds of ravnica spoilers all right let's start off with basically the hottest card of spoiler season everyone is talking about this i know you guys are both very hyped for this we have assassin's trophy black and a green so two converted mana costs it's an instant Destroy target permanent and opponent controls. Its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield, then shuffle their library. I can't believe they printed this card. I really think this is in the conversation for best removal spell that has ever been printed in 25 years of magic. It is It is just absurd. Yeah, like I... Oh man, I, it, bl- it blows my mind. Like... Think of, like, how you felt the first time you saw cards like Abrupt Decay, Deathrite Shaman, coincidentally also both Golgari cards, <laughs> you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Chandra Torch of Defiance, like, 
those are the types of emotions that are being evoked by this card. And I'm getting that sentiment from a lot of people who don't even realize that it says target permanent and not target <laughs> non-land permanent. This card is absolutely insane. It's going to change the landscape of standard very similar to how Dismember affected the standard format that it was in. Um, it's it's going to be insane in modern. Like It gives these you know, rock-style decks, even more gameplay against, like, Tron, because you can hit the Tron lands. It's great against Blue-White, because it gives you ways to interact with their Planeswalkers. It can also kill Colonnade. It can kill Search for Iskanta, or if Search for Iskanta has been flipped, it can kill Iskanta the Sunken Ruins. In Legacy, this this allows you to hit the same stuff that Decay hits, like Back to Basics and Ensnaring Bridge, but also kills Jace and the Bug Mirror and the Sultai Mirror. It hits Tabernacle at Pendril Vale if you need to, against a deck that has that. Like, this card literally does it all and from what we've seen you know with path to exile like giving your opponent a basic land is not as much of a drawback as you would think to be stapled onto a card that is this powerful yeah i think the drawback is more of a concern in standard where i feel like obviously uh like killing your opponent's land where elves on turn two you're not really coming out very far ahead in that exchange although it does scale well to the late game if you're killing a rowl or a teferi or something on turn five then the land is much less of an issue in standard in older formats this card it is just so insane like that it answers tron whether you're on the player the draw which is usually one of the big tests for being able to answer tron and it might be enough where it just shifts the like jund or green black x mid-range matchup which is traditionally really bad against tron to maybe even being favorable you can just play four of these in the main deck and have a sinkhole against tron that is still a great removal spell killing gurmag anglers and killing things in other matchups and i didn't even think they would reprint abrupt decay i thought that might be like with how wizards has been printing spells that maybe that would be like off limits for standard and they printed something that I think, at least most of the time, is just better than Abrupt Decay, which is just insane to me. Yeah, so you guys pointed out the difference that it can hit lands. Uh, Two other key differences in this card. Uh, You can only kill things your opponent controls, which I can't think of many plays where you need to kill your own stuff, but that is a thing. And the other thing is the basic land that they get does not enter the battlefield tapped. Um, So it's kind of like Ghost Quarter in that sense. I don't know how relevant that is, but you know the the templating on this card is is different than what you would expect. Um, when I first saw the card, I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay, but then I Seth convinced me when we were talking pre podcast. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, uh, you know, you jam this into Jund, and you suddenly Tron is no longer a problem. This is great against Tron, but other things. Uh, how many times have you died to say Ink Moth Nexus holding an abrupt decay? Right, this this handles that. Uh, how many times have you held a fatal push and then saw your opponent go turn to Gurmag Angler? You know, this handles that. So the versatility is there, and you can kill random things like Blood Moon and Snaring Bridges. You know, you can kill basically anything. So it's very good. The only downside is it's Golgari, and you know, uh, maybe in. Uh, I was going to say in Legacy where you had Deathrite Shaman, it didn't matter as much, but now you don't have <laughs> Deathrite Shaman. But you do have these two colors, and maybe this is the card to bring these colors back. You know, green. Green is no longer the cool kid in modern. Like, no one plays Tarmogoyf anymore. Everyone is down on Bob. Uh, maybe this brings them back to the forefront, or maybe these colors are still bad, and then that, thus no one actually plays this card. So w- what do you guys think this will do to the metagame? Will people just be jamming Jund again and remember the glory days of uh, I don't know Bloodbraid Elf into Liliana or are we still going to be on the let's let's stay with Grixis Shadow let's let's stay with uh, you know let's let's avoid green and just use the big black creatures instead uh, I mean I think the card is just insane like it goes into Jund obviously it even like frees you up more so to like play your Bloodbraid Elf, right? Like on an open board a lot of times you might want to hold your Bloodbraid Elf back because if you hit something like Maelstrom Pulse or Terminate or Abrupt Decay it's going to be a brick. But at the very least this just like turns one of their dual lands into a basic land, which is always going to end up being fine. Um, I think that it might make something like just straight up black green more playable again like some of the holes that 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 the black green deck has you know would be against like the the blue eyed control decks and this really really helps give them 
that cheap interaction for planeswalkers or the the way that the the blue white deck would normally pull ahead i think it's you know going to completely set the pace for for standard like how, how you have to be super invested to play like you know your Lyra Dawnbringer or uh, you know a Teferi or a Ral or any of these other five or six mana threats when this card is in the format. So it's really going to push push creatures to be lean. You're gonna want to get value on enter the battlefield triggers. One of the things that I've been excited for is trying to find all these cool creatures that you can get with Militia Bugler in Standard, and like Bugler decks seem like the perfect way to try and foil people leaning on Assassin's Trophy. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to have a pretty big impact across formats. I think in Standard, I actually really like that it's an efficient way to deal with Teferi. One of my concerns about moving forward, especially with these Surveil cards and like the guilds we're seeing support of, is that Teferi would just dominate the format. And having a clean two-mana answer that is also good in other matchups is, I think, a really big deal and going to be very helpful there. In Modern, I think... It's a card that you're going to want to play. Whether or not it just completely makes Jun the best deck in the format again, like are we going back to 2013 or whatever it was, 2014 when Jun was the best deck? I don't know about that, but I feel like it is something that you're going to want to build your deck around because it's just so hard to imagine this card ever being bad. Like there's other removal spells that are very strong. They at least are bad in some matchups and some scenarios. And because this hits lands as well, it's almost never a dead card. In the land in the matchups where you don't need to kill a creature, hitting a land is going to be really relevant. And hitting big planeswalkers is a big deal. So I think this, I don't know where we're going to end up with this, but I think it is definitely going to shake up modern and have a huge impact on what's viable and standard. Huh. Just play a deck with no permanence. I'll show you. <laughs> Bar- there you go. Baron Glory, new top deck. <laughs> the, car- the card's just insane. I'm as soon as soon as they go up for pre sale, I'm gonna snap get my playset. Like this strikes me as a card that's going to be fifteen to twenty dollars very quickly. So so Chris alluded to this. So if you think this will warp the standard metagame, uh, or basically any metagame, how do you how do you deal Value. with this? And value and you know lean creatures enter the battlefield triggers you know token producers and, things like that and we didn't even mention edh yeah. this, this card is nuts and, and a mix too. of like making the land that you get from it relevant right so like cards that that i like with this bugler in particular not only because it is a creature that gives you value and if they end up having to kill the bugler you're like you're able to cast the creatures that you're finding with it but things like siege gang commander tender shoot dryad like other fives and sixes that like give you something when you like when you play it and then leave stuff behind if they have an answer for it so that they're like you're able to utilize the extra mana that they're giving you and making the impact from them from the removal spell be like less good and even planeswalkers that leave something behind right so like a karn minus two isn't going to be that bad in the face of assassin's trophy whereas something like ral or teferi like will give you some value then by drawing cards but aren't leaving something behind on the board if it gets killed by assassin's trophy all right uh next up we have a blue mythic dream eater four blue blue it's a nightmare sphinx it's a four three flash flying when it enters the battlefield a surveil four and when you do you may return target non-land permanent and opponent controls to its owner's hand I, I feel like I'm missing something with this card. Like, I I don't really understand. Like, I see how it's fine. Like, you can play in a control deck as, like, your kind of finisher, but it dies to Lightning Strike and Wizard's Lightning. Surveil is powerful. Like, it can flip your search for his Kanta, but I'm still... I like the creature type. It's a really spooky-looking card. I like the art of it, but... I'm having a hard time actually parsing out if this is a card that's playable in standard by so any stretch. the existence of this card, with how it is, casting costs, rarity, leads me to believe that there is another type of Narcomiba-like card that is going to make Surveil 4 worth the rate that you're getting on everything else for this card. So imagine if there's a 4-mana 2-2 flyer that's Narcomoeba. So you can have 8 Narcomoebas in your deck that makes this card not only like a large flash flying threat that gives you some tempo value, but it's also giving, gaining you additional value from the Surveil. 
That's a scary argument. So I, I was talking to Seth before the podcast. I don't understand why this is mythic. And I, I think we've all come to the conclusion that Surveil must be a lot stronger for this card to be worth it. Because on its face, it's a 6-mana 4-3, dies to Lightning Strike, bounces something? Flash Flying? Like, I understand it's very strong for Limited, but for Standard, this seems like a very unexciting mythic. And if we say Surveil 4 is what makes the difference, um, maybe? But it's a little scary that, you know, if we do have, say, a 2-2 Flying Narcomoeba, that makes all your other Surveil cards mm -hmm. very, very strong, right? Like, not just Dream Eater, but just your random cantrips and things like that. Uh, so that that is exciting and also scary, but I just still don't like Dream Eater. <laughs> like, I, it's, like, so bad that, you know, the, the combos are not obvious, and it just... I don't know what you, what's the point of this. You open this as a new player, are you very excited? I guess you get a wall of text, but it's just like, eh... And I, I don't know. I think it's more of I, I suspect it's a limited uh you know, power balance thing as opposed to there's gonna be some crazy standard combo, but we're we'll see we'll see how that shakes up. It would be pretty pretty good at rare and limited, I think. Like it's it's kind of a very easy two for one and in limited the removal's a lot less efficient, so the four four fly or four three flyer is actually a lot more scary than it is in standard. So it might just be bumped for limited, although we still have a ton of cards to see. So while I'm not sure about getting another Narc amoeba, maybe Wizards goes that far. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some surveil payoffs that are gonna be coming that make it look better than it does right now. Yeah. Alright. Next up we have Niv Mizit Parin? I don't know what this word is. <laughs> blue, 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 red, red, red. That's right, we have six mana symbols on this card. Five five, legendary creature, dragon wizard. This spell cannot be countered. Flying, when you draw a card, Niv Mizit deals one damage to any target. When a player casts an instant or sorcery, you draw a card. I should just say this spell cannot be cast. I think that's I think that's the big problem. Like I like the card, but that mana cost. How does anyone ever? Oh, Are you still concerned about casting chain so, rollers? So this card has standard? a couple of things going for it. Uh, it's a dragon, which is relevant because you have cards like Dragon Horde and Sarkin Fireblood. So that will certainly help with the mana cost requirements for this card. But like. With it having such a prohibitive casting cost, I really felt like it should have either some way to protect itself or some sort of enter the battlefield trigger and not just this cast trigger. Uh, that being said, you know, when I first saw this card this morning, I was like, well, you're actually going to end up drawing two cards probably because there, are, there isn't a spell outside of uh, Murder or Braska's Contempt that can actually kill this. But now that there's Assassin's Trophy, it's just like, oh, this is real bad now. <laughs> like I invested all of this into this dragon and then it's just gone for two mana. Yeah, I think that is... I mean, you do get to replace it, but if you're just drawing one card, that's not not very exciting. I think it's a card that seems very sweet for Commander. It reminds me of Mystic Remora, just having almost a free Mystic Remora in your command zone where you just don't have to pay the upkeep or anything. So I think it's a fun Commander. You can do like some janky casual combos with Curiosity and Go Infinite, but as far as standard, it seems like you have to be really dedicated to being is it just to cast it and I don't know I don't know if that's uh, even if you are is it with the removal we're going to have in I'm the curious, format I'm, I'm curious not sure why this wasn't just will actually be good enough. Like, is there a problem if this card is played in a mono red deck or a mono blue deck I, I don't think so It's too easy to cast. I, I, I think it really just like it's <laughs> is it and you have to be dedicated to is it and you need, like, I don't know, it's just so cool that this is just, like, I'm sure there's going to be cards like this for the other guilds, right? And my guess is we will have a land that helps you cast this in some way. Like, maybe, you know, think like some kind of Nykthos-type land, but not Nykthos in this case, right? Like, maybe you can filter all your mana into your guild colors yep. or some kind of devotion guild color thing. One thing that I have noticed is that, like, the guild-aligned cards all have watermarks. So there could be some type of, like, land that cares about watermarks, similar to what was in Unstable. 
Ooh, that could work. I do really like, like, if you untap with this in the right deck, it's pretty insane. Like, being able to opt to draw two cards and deal two damage is, like, if you actually cast it and untap, it you should just win the That's game fair. in, like, one turn of having all your mana with this on the battlefield. Uh, it instantly, like, turns on, like, Karanos. <laughs> Pairs well with <laughs> yeah, uh, the I Locust mean, God. This, this will be I, a I very, very, very cool Brawl card. Alright, we have some split cards. Uh, response to Resurgence. So Response is uh, hybrid Boros mana, so red-white, uh, hybrid red-white, so 2 CMC. Uh, response deals 5 damage to target attacking or blocking creature. The other half of it is Resurgence, 3 red and a white. Creatures you control gain first strike and vigilance until end of turn. After this main phase, there is an additional combat phase wait there's additional combat phase followed by an additional yeah, main phase it's like a, a removal spell and then a finisher all in one like i think that this card will be cool in any like boros aggressive decks and potentially in a control deck if like the way to end the game is by attacking with like some type of um you know thieving magpie or titan type card I think the thing I've uh, noticed with the rare split cards, we've seen two so far, is the front half seem pretty efficiently costed, so I think you play them for the front half. Like, two mana, five damage to attacking and blocking creature, that's, like, pretty playable on its own. And then every once in a while, you'll have the situation where you just randomly get them with the second half. Like, the second half, a little bit more expensive than we'd probably like. Four mana is kind of, I think, the going rate for an extra combat phase uh, throughout Magic history so it's a little over costed but i think you're playing it for that front half and also worth pointing out the extra combat phase works really well with the boros guild mechanic of mentor because not only are you getting to attack again but you're getting to put counters with all your mentor creatures again so i like how it does actually work well with its guild because of that yeah this templating is very unique right uh you get an additional main phase which we don't typically see and also your creatures don't untap instead they gain vigilance so this means that uh, if your creatures become tapped somehow during your first combat you like they're just tapped for the second combat and it also means that you get a, a sorcery speed window between your combat so if you had say uh, a sort of feast or famine you can untap all your lands cast more sorceries and go in for the second attack so this templating is actually very unique, and I wonder what ways we can abuse it. Because usually it's just you gain an additional combat uh, and then untap after your first combat. But this is like you get more sorcery speed time and your creatures don't actually untap. So if they get tapped down for whatever reason, your second combat is, is wasted. Yeah, I don't know what you do with the extra main phase. There, There's probably something, but I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure how you abuse having a second main phase cast more sorcery speed stuff move your equipment around <laughs> I, I don't know but a sort of feast of bam is the most obvious like you untap all your stuff and then you cast more sorceries but how you would do any of this in standard i have no idea uh next up we have find to finality so the find half is uh golgari hybrid mana so black green black green so two converted mana cost sorcery Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. Finality, four black and a green. Sorcery, you may put two one plus one plus one counters on a creature you control. Then all creatures get minus four, minus four until end of turn. To me, it's just like the last one. Like, I think if you're playing a deck where you can take advantage of getting creatures back from your graveyard, which based on all the mechanics, which are graveyard-based, so many graveyard-based synergies and mechanics, two mana to get back two creatures is already a little bit better than the going rate for cards like that. And then maybe sometimes in the right matchup, the Languish is going to be really good. And you can save one of your creatures with the plus one, plus one counter. So I think it's another card that you play because you want to get back creatures that you milled with your Underworld Lich or whatever. Uh, but then sometimes you're in yeah, the right the matchup and the really Languish cool effect is going to be very strong. Is that, um, the front half is hybrid mana. So like you could play these in a green or a black deck and then potentially have the you know a splash for the back half if you want to 
but it doesn't have to be like you don't have to be Golgari to play this card. You could just be mono green or mono black if you wanted the front half. Yeah, uh, for this card in particular, I kind of wanted the reverse. I, I'd rather cast Finality first, followed by Find. Like getting two plus one plus one counters doesn't really save like all your creatures, right? It might save anything that's you know three three or above, but you save like one creature, everything else dies, and then you want to go find them out of your graveyard. So it's a little, it's a little weird. And then I don't know that you'd ever play find in standard. Like is two mana sorcery to, to dig up two cards from your graveyard ever worth it? Because it goes to your hand, not in play or anything. So I don't know if you would ever play this. It's worth mentioning though, that with these ones, you can't actually cast both halves of them. So there's... You only can cast one half or the other. There's no fusing or casting both of them. Right. Oh, no, they're, ju- oh, they're so just split They're not cards. aftermath cards. They are not aftermath cards. <laughs> I'm so, so confused. Ignore yeah, everything so I've said for the last five minutes. <laughs> so it's either find or finality. You choose... So the second copy, you could do that. But yeah, you only get one half of them. Oh, interesting. Hmm... Okay, now all your comments might make more sense. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was Aftermath this entire time, and I'm like, okay, you cast fine and you flash back Finality. But okay, okay. Oh, this is interesting. I still don't like Fine Finality. I don't know how it works. But I don't <laughs> it's like, like it. two different game plans. <laughs> Response to Resurgence makes sense, but Fine to Finality, uh, I don't know. It's just like two different things. I don't know that your deck would want to do both at the same time, usually. But, okay. Um, I think that's all the cards we want to talk about. So Goblin Electromancer reprints. Uh, we have... Uh, I think that card's very good. Oh, I guess Hypothesis. <laughs> uh, it's a cool card name. Uh, three blue and a red. It's an instant. Draw two cards. Then you may discard a non-land card. When you do, Hypothesis deals four damage. I don't, I don't think this is going to see much standard play, but it seems really cool for limited. It is a common, so it could potentially see play in Popper if you really wanted to. Instance that draw two cards and then deal four damage could could potentially be, be very good. Uh, but I think this is just like a cool, is it flavored card that I'm going to be happy to play in limited uh, and you know maybe even in brawl. Yeah, I think I think that's where it fits. And standard five mana is kind of a lot, and then if you want the damage, you don't actually end up up a card anyway. So I don't. We do need something to replace glimmer and illumination, both of which are rotating. But I'm not sure that this will quite get the job done. Well, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be hell bent. I will draw this card. <laughs> I will cast it. I will draw two lands, and then I will concede. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as far as Goblin or I think that's like one of the biggest trap cards uh i get so many messages and emails about building a goblin electromancer deck and it has never really worked in standard as far as i remember there has never been like a playable goblin electromancer deck in standard it is technically a modern staple being reprinted though you have niv visit you have niv visit (laughs) you have electromancer and you go off seth Storm in standard. I mean, Niv-Mizzet is kind of like Grape Shot. If you cast 20 spells that draw cards, you deal 20 damage. Or you draw a card when you cast a spell. So it's it's the same math as Grape Shot. You just got to cast 20 spells in a turn. That should be easy in standard. Yeah, I mean, we've had almost Spellslinger decks, right? Uh, what was the energy? Like Dynavolt Tower? Oh, Dynavolt Tower. There was a time when Dynavolt yeah, Tower was That's basically a blue-red spells deck, right? So we, you know, they Wizards doesn't like Storm, but they'll they'll throw us like spell decks sometimes, right? So this could be a thing. It is important to note out that Electromancer works with uh, Wizards Lightning and the Counterspell. Oh, it's actually that's a true. wizard. Yes, uh-huh. it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe Wizards do have some nice options for upcoming standards, so maybe it'll fit I, there. I think that if there is a deck that, like, goes all in on the blue-red, like, Nibmissed enchantment that gets counters when you play spells, we'll probably also have Goblin Electromancer in it. All right, I think that's all the spoilers you want to talk about this week, guys. Uh, any... Any follow-up thoughts? Any cards we missed? Get your get your Assassin's Trophies now. They're never going to be cheaper than they are the first day that they're available for pre-order, I think. Oh, man. We we actually had a, a reprint just come out while we've been podcasting. Uh, it is one of the... 
it solves uh, the Niv Mizzet problem, Whoa. Richard, and is one of the best commander cards. Really? Wow. What card is this? Chromatic, Chromatic Lantern. Ah. At, it is coming back at rare. There we go. That's how. That's how we cast Niv Mizzet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, that's not a horrible mana rock. I think. It's worth mentioning, uh, we do have Gilded Lotus as well, and finally a Braid is rotating, so you're not going to hopefully be as punished, although now we have Assassin's uh, whatever <laughs> that trophy. Dies to, to Assassin's trophy. Yeah, Literally, to, you can to, use this for every card that's like a permanent <laughs> now, so... <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm excited for it. I think it's... Uh, the set is looking sweet to me. Assassin's trophy is busted, and I'm just... I'm excited. I think it's going to be a really fun standard, hopefully. All right, so so last week we talked a bit about the the masterpieces, but so we podcasted pretty early in the day, and then the day after we got all of the information. So, Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition only available on Hasbro Toy Shop, limited two per customer. It's gonna have sixteen normal boosters, and then it's gonna have eight special boosters where in those boosters you're guaranteed a masterpiece and when you buy this whole set you're guaranteed the whole set of masterpieces and the cards are foil and we saw pictures or videos of them and they look like it's from the vault foiling and uh last week there weren't many spoilers so people just complained on end on internet forums about the mythic edition and you know a lot of um you know, people with weight in the community said, you know, this was a money grab by by wizards, and this is, you know, unethical and things like that. And basically, this whole thing about the masterpieces blew up. What do you guys think uh, now that we have kind of all of the information, all the official information about these masterpieces? So, from the vault, foiling sucks. Uh, it sucks that they're only available to U.S. and Canada through the Hasbro Hasbro Toy Shop. I think that the product is going to be successful, which will lead them to doing more, but we should certainly give them feedback that we dislike the From the Vault foiling so that <clears throat> they can change it up. Bottom line, ultimately, these are just reprints of cards that already exist that you can get less expensive copies of. So while it does suck that like people outside of US and Canada aren't able to get them, and then it will be a limited edition type thing, like I'm all fine for having limited edition things like that, that Wizards kind of makes it a challenge to get a hold of, as long as it's like not an exclusive, the only way you can get copies of those cards is that way. Like if the, if you couldn't get Teferi Hero of Dominaria any other way but in this, I would be furious, but that's not the case. So like, if it's not for you, it's not for you. Yeah, I don't know why they would choose to use From the Vault Foiling. I think the feedback on that for a long time has been the community is not a fan of the From the, uh, from the Vault Foiling, so it's a curious choice for them to go back to that style of foiling. As far as the product, I mostly agree with Chris that it doesn't offend me that it exists. Like, if they're going to do collector's products, the way to do it is with reprints like this, so I think that in that sense, it's pretty fine. I do dislike some of the distribution stuff that we talked about before, and I'm a little bit disappointed that it's with the booster packs. I think, for me, that's the thing that really makes it confusing. I'm not sure why you would make this like a booster product when that's a part that seems like it takes away from your goal of trying to get people to buy booster boxes from your local game store by doing these exclusive promos, but then you're like kind of selling your own booster boxes and cutting out the local game store altogether, so I'm not sure why they didn't just stick the eight Planeswalkers in a packaging like the SDCC promos or whatever and just sell them like that. I don't I don't understand the booster part of it at all. Yeah, I, I think most of the outrage is due to how this was communicated and branding because if you think about it, this is literally SDCC promos with boosters tacked on, right? With the Comic-Con promos, if you're outside the US, tough luck. Uh, it was limited quantity, right? And it was super expensive, right? And kind of those arguments that are being levied against the Mythic Edition, like you could have said that about SDCC, but... There was no outrage. I think part of it was when you use the word masterpiece, people expect high quality premium cards available in your boosters, like normal boosters, right? And it's kind of that overloading of the term that, that people are upset about. Like if we just call this, 
I don't know, new Ravnica full art Planeswalker promos or something, I don't think you would have had the same outrage. But because they were called masterpieces, people are, are very upset. And it's a perception thing. And as far as the money grab, I, I do think it's a little weird that they've added boosters onto this because it adds to the price of this, right? Because they'll say, okay, the MSRP of a booster is $4, right? In reality, when you buy a box, the boosters are a lot cheaper. And, you know, the fact that you have to buy boosters just to get this, you know, make, makes it, makes it feel a bit worse. But I still think these will sell out. Everyone will just, you know, October 3rd, everyone will hit F5. Jam onto the Hasbro toy shop. Hope you don't time out, and then check out too. And that's what will happen. And then Wizards will see this as a huge success, right? And then we're all kind of doing this with the fear that oh, if we don't buy this now, it will, you know, we'll never get it. And and I I don't know. It just creates this mass hysteria, and that's what they want. And I'm not sure if that's good for the game, especially if it's from the vault foiling, because it's. Everyone hates from the vault foiling, and then you're gonna have the ten Reddit posts that oh I left this I left the mythic edition in my car for two hours and now it's like you know a rolled up piece of paper, so <laughs> I, I I can already see this happening, so I don't know it, it's weird but I I see that they're trying to do new things and they're trying to increase the revenue without affecting normal players right because what they could have done was said oh we're increasing booster packs by 10% to make more money, right? But instead, they're just hitting, you know, an optional segment. I, I feel like there's just this disconnect between who they perceive is going to want this product, right? Like, I get having the boosters with it, 24 packs, it makes it playable, right? So, so, you, so you think that it would increase the range of players that would buy this product from you know, people that are only collecting and they want that SDCC experience and people that also want a booster draft at, tacked onto it. But I feel like the numbers of people that are going to buy this product to draft all 24 packs and have it as a draft experience are going to be, it just has to be so astronomically low that it, like it hurts, the, it's going to hurt the sales of the product because there are people that are that would buy it if it were just the eight promos priced accordingly that aren't going to buy it because they don't feel like the extra money for the packs adds enough value for them to get it as a collector's item. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, definitely odd. I understand their impulse to make this product because it seems like free money from their perspective and I think it is like uh, Mero was talking about it and why it wasn't released to local game stores and only through the Hasbro toy shop and kind of said oh well like we don't know like if this product will sell and I was like oh no no you you know everyone knows like don't give us that you know it's gonna sell out and I think the biggest concern is if this is like once this sells out is this gonna become the new norm because this is pretty close to Wizards being able to sell singles like they are reprinted singles but really it's about as close as they've been able to get to directly sell singles to players and if they just sell out in five minutes and make 2.5 million dollars off of like 10,000 copies or whatever it ends up being why wouldn't they just keep going further and further down that road like it's just so easy to add to their bottom line and then I don't know what the overall ramifications to the game's economy would be if this became the norm that was happening all the time yeah, I, I think everyone will complain and say boycott this and then they'll go and Hasbro Toy Shop and buy it anyway because, <laughs> you know, they, they think it's going to increase the price and then Wizards will just keep doing it, right? They're, it's high-priced high collector's item reprints of item, things you can already get cheaper. So, like, they'll, they'll do it as much as they can and hopefully not to a point to where it floods the market and affects the price of the normal printings of the cards. As long as it doesn't do that, then no harm, no foul. Wizards can do what they want. They're a business trying to make money. The more money they make, the more resources they have to make magic better. So what does this mean for pack foils? So, for example, pack foil Liliana the Last Hope. Is, is this bad news for that? Because you expect this card to be reprinted in these promotional aspects. Because prior to all of this, prior to the new age of magic, there there weren't that many channels of reprinting premium cards, right? We we basically just had expansion sets but now we have all these supplemental products we have these promotional masterpieces we have the regular sdcc things does that devalue my pack foils now going forward so it, if it was 
a different, new, or like better foiling process than the FTV foils, then you know I could see some potential argument for that. But like the FTV foils suck, and you know we're going to be looking at you know the 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 price affection is going to be similar to what we saw with things and FTB, right? So like think of how GTA's price was affected, think of how Dark Deb's price was affected. Not not significantly. Yeah, no, that's very true and I think in all honesty like with the from the vault cards, they were often worth uh, the same or even less than the non-foil original printing. So it'll be interesting to see if the new art is something that's enough in demand to overcome the foiling, but with the From the Vault cards, they were actually less popular than the non-foil originals in a lot of cases. Yeah, so like the, the FTV GTA is 20 or $17 on Card Kingdom, and a, a near-mint foil Betrayer's GTA is $250. So probably not a real concern as far as devaluing. And also we've seen, like, there was a Pro Tour or GP promo of Liliana the Veil, and the original Liliana the Veil is still... It didn't crash based on uh, based on that reprinting, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about my original foils based on this. Yeah, and Watsy, please just get rid of this from the vault foiling. <laughs> like, have you... I, so Chris, you work at a card shop. If you just look at any other TCG and you hold their cards, their cards feel good. And I'm like, Wizards has been doing this for 25 years. Like, why are we still talking about cardstock quality, <laughs> right? Like, they've been doing <laughs> yeah. this since the the dawn of cards or whatever. And why is this a problem? You open a Pokemon pack, you're like, wow, these cards feel premium. I don't have to worry about them bending. They don't feel too thin. You know, just new cards like Final Fantasy or whatever. They feel good. And then you open, like, a From the Vault foil, and you're like, what is this? And why do we still have this? I understand at some point they had to try it, but it's been, like, years and years of complaining, and, like, they really haven't stepped away from it. Yeah, I, I would like for them to move away from the FTV foiling. I would like, like to them t to move away from foiling, period, on those products, but that's just me. Oh, yeah, like, these Planeswalkers and non-foil? Oh, th th then we would be talking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're, we're all on the non-foil trade. I, I also dislike foils, and I just dislike the complications of foils. Like, even if the foils didn't curl and they looked good, like, the fact that you could get in trouble at a sanctioned tournament because you have certain foil cards, like, that just uh, that just makes me feel bad, right? So I, I wish there was some clean resolution to all of this. Uh, so last up, so talking about hipster things to do... Full art lands are no longer the new coolness, guys. We have normal bordered lands, but the the text box uh, has art in it, and the art is of uh, respective guilds. So you have two of each basic in the guild kits uh, that are being released, and there's special lands. And then also in Ravnica Weekend, you get the foil version of these lands. And if you haven't seen them, check them out on the site. I think they look cool, and I think they're better than full art lands. Uh, what are your opinions? Do What are these new land templates? Do you like them, or do you not like them? I think they're great. One of the best things about Ravnica sets, or just like Ravnica in general, and what it's done for magic is creating these guild identities and giving people like color combinations that they can identify with and affiliate themselves with. And going the extra step with ha having these basics now, I think it's just really, really cool and they're going to be insanely popular. I like them as well, although I wish they were old bordered. For me, I'm a big old border <laughs> player, so I like how it looks, but I honestly think I would play my, my Mirage basics or whatever, just because I really like old border, but they're really going to look awesome in foil. Like, I just imagining the way the design is, it's really going to pop uh, in the foil version. So I expect that they're going to be pretty popular, and I expect that the foil ones especially probably going to be pretty valuable. So a good reason to go out to, what is it, Ravnica Weekend or something? Ravnica uh, the, Weekend. The, the Venice. Good reason to go out to Ravnica Weekend to get your foil copies. But what if it's from the vault foiling? <laughs> <laughs> oh man hopefully hopefully they avoid that they do look cool though i really like them i i think full art lands are overused and overrated i really like um 
you know when people like like you do this Seth, you find really old lands that are really sweet and then they just look so much better than you know everyone's generic full art <laughs> battle for zendikar or full art zendikar or if you're rich then you're foil unhinged and unglued and whatever i i just i like the border and i like the touches they they, they put on you know the card frame and things like that I still want, more than anything, no art lands. Like, imagine <laughs> these lands, but move the mana symbol up in the middle and just have the patterns around it. Oh my god. Oh, it would be so, so, so awesome. So what you're describing to me is Pokemon energy cards. Have you seen them, yeah. Seth? <laughs> uh, I don't really play Pokemon, so no. So, I think I saw one used as an energy card. Yeah, so ima- it's, just a, it's just imagine a safe or swamp. It'd just be a, you know, a black background and a giant swamp in the middle. And, like, that's it. <laughs> that, 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 I don't that know why we it. haven't done that yet. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. That would have the feel of like the unstable basics. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all down. And look, it'd be so cheap. They don't even have to commission art, right? <laughs> it's so cheap. <laughs> that'll be next. Uh, that'll be next year's masterpieces. No art lands. <laughs> oh, I would. I would love it. I, th- I would play those all the time, especially if it had the old border. <laughs> It have um, no border. <laughs> no border. It's 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 actually not a card set. It's actually uh, all right. No, uh, so that that wraps up our Ravnica talk. Any anything else, guys? I'm excited. I think that about covers it for for me. Assassin's Trophy is going to be awesome. The set. The more I see, the more hyped I get. So I'm just excited for the next two weeks of spoilers. I I can't wait to see this Raska. Like she's obviously going to be the planeswalker in the set. I have been wanting another good three-mana Planeswalker for some time, and Sarkin just didn't hit it for me. I'm hoping that the like the two-color requirement for Raska, she could just be the really, really cool three-mana Planeswalker to go along with my Assassin's Trophy, and I'll be happy. Incoming eight-mana Raska with, like, five <laughs> mana symbols in it. <laughs> black, 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 green, 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 green. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so... so y- so your guess is on a low CMC, Vraska, and I, I, I like that because you're right. With the guilds and the colored requirements, you can reduce the, the mana cost of it. So maybe we do get a very competitive three-mana Planeswalker. And three-mana Planeswalkers have been pretty good recently. And Vraska gets a boost in power just because of Assassin's Trophy. Like, <laughs> wanting to play Assassin's Trophy, probably going to mean more Vraska's seeing play, assuming it's reasonably costed and fairly powerful. <laughs> What if her yep. plus one is like Assassin's Trophy? Oh my god. You just run them yep. out of basics. <laughs> Alright, let's move uh, on to fish mail. If you have your questions, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fishmail and we'll get to your questions on air. Hey Frizzle, this is the question that everyone's been asking. What if we had Snapcaster Mage with Jumpstart? So two mana, two one. Flash, with when this creature enters the battlefield, target instant or sorcery in your graveyard gains jumpstart until end of turn. Is it too busted for standard? I tweeted that exact card last week. <laughs> I think at 3 mana it's okay. I, I believe that at 2 mana it would be too busted, but I think at 3 mana it would be good but not busted. Even even at blue-red? Uh, I think at blue-red it would still be too good. I think it really has to be more than 2 mana. I think it also has to be a 1-1. One, one. Ooh. Yeah, that's that might be true as well. Even at 3 mana? A th- you couldn't get away with 2 power at 3 mana? Eh, maybe. So so, what is our conclusion here? It has to be red-blue at 2 mana and be a 1-1? One, one? Jumpstart? Uh... Snapcaster. I think it's got to be. I think it's got to be three mana. I, we can quibble over the rest of the stuff, yeah. but I don't so, think you can print it at two mana, even as a one one. So the problem is, is that if it's a wizard, then you have literal lightning bolt in the format. So, oh, yeah. do do with that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, given that we have like torrential gear Hulk, I I think three mana is not. Uh, like three mana is, I think, very safe. I think because sure. it's it's like close to Gear Hulk. I think two mana is doable. I don't know. I remember Snapcaster and Standard. I didn't think it was that bad, but maybe oh. maybe I don't remember correctly. Was it really that bad? Like it was no, only bad because it had standard, Delver, it right? Oh, it, 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 wasn't it? It, it, it it wasn't that bad in Standard um, until people realized that the Delver deck was just insane. Like getting getting to Vapor Sna- Vapor yeah. Snag and Dismember is what made it made it busted. Yeah. Delver into Snapcaster Vapor Snags. 
wasn't it similar to Assassin's Trophy in the sense where, like, you can't really play Lyra Dawnbringer because your opponent will just Vapor Snag, Snapcaster Vapor Snag, so you had to play, like, things with Enter the Battlefield, yeah. tra- like, they it pushed a lot of stuff out of the yeah. format. <laughs> you got yeah, and it ended with Thrag Trust being printed. So you're yeah. saying there's going to be Thrag Tusk in the form. <laughs> well, so, like, being blue-red just kind of, like, pigeonhole, like, shoehorns it into specific decks, right? Like, if if the new, you know, jumpstart Snapcaster Mage is blue-red, like, is there a world where you can even play that card with Assassin's Trophy? I doubt it, but maybe. Mm. Maybe if they print fetch lands <laughs> in the third set or something, we then you would. Chromatic Lantern. <laughs> I, I really hope they forgot that wizards are important and made made it a wizard so you can bolt snap bolts in standard again. That would be so cool. <laughs> uh, next question. Laird Leatherwood, what guild would you say each of you identify with the most? What about the least? Well, least is easy. It's Boros for sure. Uh, most... It's one of the blue ones. I took the test that they put out, and it said I was Simic, so I guess I can go with that. Although, I can see arguments for uh, Demir as well. But uh, either Simic or Demir, I think. For me, it's Gruul is who I identify with like by far the most. As far as the, that I least identify with, probably Demir. So We're like the opposites. <laughs> yeah. <true. laughs> so for me, it's Golgari... The least would probably be something like Simic. Uh, but I'm interested about this test. Is it the official is it official Watsi test? Yeah. yeah, they put oh. out it's a it's a very short like five question quiz that'll tell you what your guild is. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take this test after. I'm curious. It, it's it's a bit of a meme though, because there's like one question where it's like, You're at a party, what do you do? And one of the answers like, I stand by myself and watch everybody and then leave without talking to anyone and I'm like, that's basically everybody that plays magic is gonna answer that. But what guild does that put you into? I I, I don't know. I answered it and I got gruel. <laughs> Alright, go game show. Hi Seth, you say standard gets stale after a few months. But I feel it's less stale than modern since rotation changes every so often. Don't you get tired of playing against Affinity, Burn, Tron, Coco all the time? Uh, the thing that makes modern so unique is there's so many viable decks. Like when you talk about the best deck in standard, recently that's been 30%, even 40 or 50% of the metagame. When you talk about the best deck in modern, it's like 8% of the format. So even the deck that's dominating finger quotes, the format, you're going to play like once every GP maybe. So there's just so many viable decks that it naturally keeps itself fresh just by being so diverse, even without a rotation. So it doesn't really get tiresome to me in the way that standard does yeah i feel the question does highlight a good point though like we never talk about the strengths of standard uh in that it's fresh and there's always new brewing because when it happens we're too busy breaking down spoilers we're too busy brewing new decks and we don't really just sit around and praise standard but you know this is the time where we praise standard but we just don't do it directly right when we're hyping up new decks and thinking about uh new combinations you can play you know this is kind of uh, the praise standard should be getting, but like no one actually says it because they're too busy doing other things. Plus, like in the age of information that we're in, so many matches of standard get played on Magic Online. With there being a, such a small card pool compared to modern, it gets solved quicker. So, like you feel like it's stagnant, but that's just because like the Nash equilibrium is way shorter as far as the time time frame goes. Alright, next question. Xenos Fan 2. Why doesn't Kwasali Ambusher see more play in modern? It's a free turn one creature and stops Delver and Goblin Guides. Do you so then you have to play Temple Guard. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys know what this card does? Uh, yeah, I do. Three mana, three mana, two, three with reach, and you can play it for free if you have a plains in a forest? Something like that? Yeah, you, so you and, can play it with flash and free, and your opponent is attacking you, you can troll both a forest and a plains. Oh, and it has to be attacking. It seems very matchup dependent, and if you're not getting it for free, I don't know. Is a 2-3 for for free really even that good in modern? I mean, it's good if your opponent has, like, exactly Goblin Guide. (laughs) Yeah, I guess guess it's true. Yeah, the problem is you need to cut something and put this in. Um, But I'm surprised I've actually never seen this. And have Temple Garden in your deck. There are not a lot of decks that can play Temple Garden. 
Hmm. Yeah. Maybe this is a job for Against the Odds, Seth. <laughs> it does sound fun to get people. No, I can promise you that that no one expects Kosali Ambusher <laughs> to eat their Goblin Guide on turn one. So maybe like Kosali Ambusher manatize just all the like gotcha cards in one, maybe. and you'll never win. But man, you'll make some surprised opponents. And like, why does it have reach? Who expects a cat to have reach? <laughs> like, why? Long pause. Duh. Um, <laughs> I guess they can climb. Uh, I did a like a deck doctor type show a few years ago on Twitch, and one of the decks that I had to work with was a cat tribal deck in modern. And ambusher seemed sweet uh, on paper, but it was just miserable in practice. Like it was just not good. It never got to. It never happened. All right, next question, Zorath. Where do some of these weird terms come from? Uh, let's see what we know. Uh, cantrip, dork, dirtle, jank. I don't actually know where any of these terms come from. Like, so, what is a cantrip? Can, cantrip is a term that comes from uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Cantrip is a, a class of spells that uh, you can use as many times as you want. They're usually minor effects. So that translated over into magic, where a cantrip is just a cheap card that replaces itself, uh, that you just like are able to use the, those type of effects over and over again. Uh, so that's that's where the term cantrip comes from. Uh, junk uh, came from... Oh, jank. Um, or jank. Jank. Jank is... That's a term that I hear people use in the real world, but I don't yeah. know where it came uh, came from. What about yeah. what about dork? Where do mana dorks come from? Anyone know? The, a dork is uncool, so it's like not a cool card, but it just provides mana for you. Mm. And it's small, so like dorks are small and uncool. I associate Dirtle with LSV. I have no idea if if he actually is the first person to say it, but that's I associate it with LSV. I, I remember the first time I heard Dirtle was from uh, Michael Jacob, but I don't really know where it comes from. It's not even a word, right? Like this is the problem with magic. You know all these things, and you're like, is it yeah. a word or not? I don't think Dirtle's a word. Yeah, I, I no. I mean, so if you say Dirtle to a stranger, just they're just gonna that, look at you weirdly. Yeah, it's just it's just something that I remember from. A million years ago although like it is pretty like synonymous in gamer culture so regardless of the type of game that you play if somebody is is in that gamer culture and you say dirtle they're going to know that that just means to like spin your wheels right all right last question chaotic apathy 15 i was buying my playset of gifts for storm and saw card kingdom had eight spellbook versions for half the cost of regulars from modern masters just wondering why they were so cheap is it the foil this is, issue? This is the Jace spellbook set. Is that is that just like cheaper in general than everything else? Uh, it, it could it it could just be that like we had a ton and we wanted to move them. Um, let's I can let's pull up the website right now and look at it. So Modern Masters is four forty nine four ninety nine and. The spellbook Jace is three forty nine, so it's like a buck less. Are I actually don't even remember these spellbooks. Are are they from the vault foiling or are they a different type of no. foiling? No, so they they actually use like a normal card foiling. And oh, so okay. uh with each spellbook you get like the whole array of like eight cards or whatever it is, yeah. but then one of them is randomly foil. Um and so like they actually look really, really cool, but it wasn't very popular because, like, it's only the blue card. So for people that don't play blue, that's not something they're going to be interested in. And it was, like, the printing form was really, really low. So if you're looking to spec on something, I think that, you know, cards like the Counterspell and the Brainstorm um, from the Signature Spellbook, halfway decent specs because they're generally underpriced. Who doesn't play blue? <laughs> Every everyone everyone loves blue. <laughs> that's that is not true. <laughs> all right, that's all our fish mail questions this week. If you have questions, you can send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I think, unless we have anything else on the way out the door, I think that brings us to the end of episode one hundred and eighty-eight of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I, so. Uh... I actually was going. I was going to say it at the beginning when we talked about Spikes Academy, but just big ups uh, to Paulo Vitor. He placed top four this weekend in the Team uh, Unified Modern Tournament Grand Prix, and that is his fourth Team Top Four uh, Grand Prix finish this season, which is pretty insane. 
That is wow. super insane. So make wow. sure you check out Spikes Academy because he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> SpikesAcademy.com, 10% off with the, the coupon cold goldfish. Good segue. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you so much to Richard and Chris for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Spikes Academy for the support. So have a wonderful week. We'll be back next week with another full week of Guild of Ravnica spoilers. So we'll talk about it all then. Until then, have a good week. And this is the crew signing out. Bye.